Hey everyone, my name is Sheila and I am one of the leaders here at HTBB. A couple of months back, I was in the busiest season I've ever been in a long, long time. Work was at its peak, I was straddling two roles and we were trying to close this really important deal on a very tight timeline. And then outside of work, I was managing some renovations around my work schedule. So I'd be talking to contractors in the morning, then rushing off to work and then coming back at night to check for defects and repeat. And somewhere in there, my brother was getting married. So my family obviously was in a bit of chaos. And then my best friend left Malaysia for good. And so I was also finding spare moments to grieve that and think about that. And let's just say it was all quite a ride. And somewhere in that, uh, I got a text from Abel saying, Oh, hey, Sheila, you know for that sermon that you're scheduled for in March, I was thinking it would be great if you kick us off on this mini-series on dealing with stress. And this is an actual picture of me saying yes to Abel. But in all seriousness, this is how I know that God has a sense of humor. It was a good reminder for me that I actually really needed to go back to the Bible and dig deep about what God's Word has to say about managing stress. Nothing I was going through was bad. It was just quite overwhelming at times. And I think uh, that when that happens, I'd be the first to admit that my response isn't always one that recognizes that I have a relationship with a great big God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present and basically, I don't know, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once. And He loves me and he cares about me and my well-being and my approach to situations and how I carry myself and how I treat others in my stress. A God who wants to be in the details and work that out with me. I don't always remember that. And I wonder if you can relate. And so this is first and foremost for me, and I hope that it will be helpful for you too, regardless the season you're in. And if not for you, then maybe how you show up for a friend. To kick us off in this mini-series, I'm going to focus on our internal world, how we exercise our faith in the midst of stressful situations. And we'll be looking at Exodus 16, where Moses and the Israelites, they find themselves in a very stressful situation. They have no food. And this isn't a your favorite mama running out of roti chanai kind of stress, but literally they were refugees in a desert and they were running out of food supplies. If you're not familiar with the story of Exodus, let me give you a quick lowdown because I think context is important here to understand the interactions between the people, Moses, and God. And so firstly, Exodus begins with the Israelites being enslaved by the Egyptians. Then God sees his people suffering and he sends Moses to rescue them. Moses then confronts Pharaoh and demands that he lets the Israelites go, but Pharaoh refuses. Then God sends 10 plagues upon the Egyptians, eventually resulting in Pharaoh allowing them to go. After they left, the Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army after the Israelites, who were then miraculously able to cross the Red Sea on dry ground as God split the seas for them, but then causes the seas to crash on the Egyptian army and they drown. The Israelites then celebrate their freedom and set off on their journey. A few questions you might be wondering at this point. Firstly, where were they headed? Well, the answer is the promised land. Moses casted this vision for them back, a few chapters back, uh, that there was this land that God had promised their ancestors and that God would lead them there now. A place for them to settle and call home. So they weren't aimlessly on the run, they had a destination. 
The last two Sundays was our vision, vision series where we heard about the vision for the church. And having a vision is so important and so amazing and so energizing. But I'm sure we can all acknowledge that if we're not careful, big vision can sometimes be a source of stress in the execution, leading us down paths that we don't want to be, like burnout and maybe even resentment. And this is why the Bible must have wisdom about coping with stress because it's so integral to life. The second question you might be asking is, how were they getting there? And the answer is that God actually led them through um, this journey uh, by appearing to them in a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire in the night. And I think this is important to note before we carry on that God was with them in a tangible and even visible way throughout the journey. And it's the same today. God is here. So God freed them, He gave them a clear vision, and He stayed close to them. And things were great for about three days when they started to face challenges, starting with the lack of water, which God then miraculously supplies. And in today's passage, they are about a month and a half later, and they're starting to run out of food, they're getting frustrated, anticipating the hunger that they will face on the journey ahead. Let's read together. It's long, but worth it. The passage from Exodus 16. So Exodus 16 verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Then further down in verse 13, we see that this actually happens. So that evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gather much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow, is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left 
and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some people went out on the seventh day to gather it, and they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long would you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, and this is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. And manna literally means, um, what is it? So it's, they pointed at the bread and they, they pointed at the thing that they saw on the ground and they said, what is it? And that became the name of the substance. Literally, what is it that God is giving them? But it was food that sustained them for a long time because we read later in verse 35, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Amen. What an amazing story for us to ponder on, on how God meets them in their stress. And today I want to talk about and explore this idea of posture. Our posture as we carry the stresses of our daily lives. And there are two definitions of the word posture. The first is a physical posture, the position that we hold our body when we stand or sit. And the second is an attitude that we hold towards things. And I've realized three things about physical posture. Firstly, good posture is absolutely key for physical health. You know, any physiotherapist can tell you that posture is absolutely important. And at least that's what they've been telling me my whole life. Bad posture as we carry out our daily lives, because it's consistent and subtle, before you know it, it builds up over time and causes a whole host of other aches, pains, weaknesses, and injuries. And then I have to go to try and undo it at the gym. And the tricky part is that bad posture is so much easier to slip into. I don't know about you, but when I sit at my desk for too long, over time, I slip into this little golem mode like this, and it's my precious, my precious Excel. Finish now. And I wonder why my neck is so stiff for days. But secondly, posture can also be telling of how we feel internally. And I've been given feedback that I sometimes cross my arms when I feel insecure or challenged. And once I was given this feedback, I started to realize that it's true. You know, here I was thinking that I was doing so well uh, with my composure, but my body was betraying me, revealing how I was truly feeling. And it turns out that my posture was a lot more honest about my internal world than I dared to admit. But that also means that the converse is true. Posture has the power to change our perspective. Some of you may have seen the famous TED talk on power poses. The idea that holding certain power poses, there were a few, I can't remember them all, but for a few minutes can help boost our confidence when we don't feel confident. And isn't that crazy? that our posture actually has a direct influence and can even change how we feel. And I think that that can be applied to our spiritual posture as well. I know I wonder what is a healthy spiritual posture or attitude when we face stress? And maybe we can ask ourselves, you know, what does our current posture reveal to us about how we truly feel? 
How can we change that posture to help us to raise our faith in difficult times? Let's go back to our story. If I were to characterize the Israelites' posture or attitude towards their situation, it would be one word. It would be hopelessness. And for them, what that looked like is it looked like grumbling and disobedience. Let's explore the grumbling. In verse 9, it says, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Sometimes I think that when we read this passage, we can think that the antidote to the grumbling is gratefulness and that the grumbling pointed to their ungrateful hearts. And maybe there was some of that happening, but I also think it pointed to something deeper. I think that the grumbling had more to do with the hope they had for the future and the faith that they had in a God who could bring them there. This is why even Moses says, you're not grumbling against us, but rather you're grumbling against the Lord. And I guess reading this passage got me wondering, what really was brewing beneath the surface in their hearts and minds that brought them to this point? They'd seen the miracles. God parted the seas for them. They had God with them tangibly through the pillar of fire and cloud, and yet there were undercurrents of faithlessness. Why? And I wonder if a large part of it actually has to do with feelings of regret. Verse 3 says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. But read a few chapters back and we will know this is not true statements. They made it sound like a party, um, a banquet even. But just a few chapters back, we read in Exodus chapter 1, verse 14. They, that is the Egyptians, made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar. And with all kinds of work in the fields, in all the harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Their current situation led them to look back with rose-tinted glasses, to look back at their time in Egypt and glorify it. Back then, things may have been bad, but at least there was certainty, right? But now, I'm in a desert with no food. You know, there were probably parents wondering what they brought their children into. There were maybe young adults wondering what their future held. And there were kids who had no clue what was going on except their lives were an endless walk in the desert. And if you put all that together, the question lingering on their minds beneath the grumbling was really probably just this. Is this worth it? And maybe that's a question on your heart too. I wonder if perhaps you've made some decisions that have filled you with regret. Or perhaps you too have felt that following God, following Jesus has left you in a place you'd rather not be and you're wondering if turning back is the better option. But take heart that this is not the end of their story. The other underlying emotion that can be observed is probably fear. A lot had happened in their lives within a very short period of time. You know, in less than two months, they went from being long-time slaves to refugees, which one would argue doesn't quite sound like a salvation story yet. You know, in, in the Malay language, there's this saying, Telepas mulut buaya, masok mulut harimau. And it's translated as escaping the crocodile's mouth only to enter the tiger's mouth. 
And I think this situation probably felt a lot like that. This wasn't a superhero movie where the superhero swoops in, saves the people, and things are great within 24 hours. You know, as a reader now, we know what God was doing, but they didn't. You know, what was going to happen in the future? Would they really starve to death? These are genuine concerns. And this is probably what continually led to their disobedience. You know, in this story we read, they disobeyed God twice. Once was not to keep the leftover food for the next day. So God told them, uh, you gather what you only need for the day and don't keep it. But then some of them decided to keep it to the next day and they saw maggots in their food. So that was the first disobedience. And the second was that they came out to search for food on the Sabbath, which was the seventh day that God had designated as a rest day. And all this happened in their first week. Verse 29, we read, uh, that the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? But I don't know about you. I totally feel for them. And I think that if I put myself in their situation, I may have done the same. I mean, look, I just come out from being a slave. The people who were my masters back then, they weren't very nice, nor really to be trusted. I've been traveling out here in the desert on foot for the last month and a half, and I'm not sure for how long more. And I'm running out of a basic fundamental need, which is food. This wasn't about excess or luxury. It's about survival. And if I see food raining down from heaven for the first time, I'm pretty sure what I'm going to want to do is to try and gather more than a day's worth of it if I can. And if I see food raining down from heaven for six days, I'm definitely going to want to come out on the seventh day, even if to just like, to like kepo, you know, like to just go and see what happens. Will there still be food there? These behaviors, I think, were rooted in this deep-set fear for their own lives. They were just simply looking out for themselves. And maybe because they didn't know yet if they could trust God to look out for them. And maybe the couple of miracles that they had seen couldn't undo the years um, of slavery and pain that they had experienced. And I wonder if that's how you feel on some days. You know, what situations have you in survival mode where you think, you know what, I'm not sure what God's going to do and I'm not sure what He's doing, so just in case, I'm going to take some matters into my own hands while I see how God's plans work out. And for each of us, this looks different, right? You know, a few weeks ago, we had a guest speaker, Dan Blythe. He was amazing. Go check out his sermon. And he talked about fear. And he listed out all the types of fears that can grip us daily. And each of us has different fears that drive us to self-sufficiency. Maybe for some of us, it's our careers and decisions around that. For some others, it could be around our family life or finding a life partner. Others, it could be finances and how we might want to choose to grow our money. We're just trying to do what's best for ourselves and, and for our families. And I guess the big question we have to ask ourselves when we start to do that is, do we trust that actually God too wants what's best for us? And have we begun to feel that our hope in God is fading? Their regret and their fear led to this posture of hopelessness in the face of their stress. And it surfaced uh, bubbled to the surface as grumbling and disobedience to God. But what are our alternatives? Now, I'd like to offer two alternative spiritual postures that we can hold to help us navigate stressful situations healthily. The first is being prayerful. Let's take a look at Moses. 
Moses' prayerful posture has always been consistent. Where the Israelites would look at the challenges ahead and lose hope, Moses would look at God's past victories and gain faith. Did he have stress? I would think so. But did he also have peace? I think so too. You know, I, I work in a tech company, and if you're in the tech industry or if you've been keeping up with tech news, you'd know that it's been a completely rough season. You know, funding isn't easy to come by, and there's been loads of massive like, layoffs happening globally. And sometimes when I look at my bosses, I just have absolute mad respect for how they persevere. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it must feel like to carry the burden of people's livelihoods. And that was Moses, right? God. We're running out of food in the middle of nowhere. Like, what's the plan here? But still, he had faith. He just knew in his heart of hearts that God would deliver. How? Because he knew God. Moses had a deep relationship with God and it made all the difference to the way that he saw the situation around them. Every time the Israelites came to him with what felt like impossible problems, he channeled it all to God in prayer. Sometimes in desperate prayer. But he didn't just go to God in the bad times. He regularly conversed with God. In fact, we read in the Bible that God called Moses his friend. Now, isn't that amazing that God can call us his friends? God is bigger than the stresses we face daily. And more importantly, he cares. And here's what we don't read in the Bible. We, we don't read that God heard the grumbling of the people and then he sent them to their corner to think about what they said because what they're saying is wrong. That's not what we read. We read that God heard the grumbling of the people and he gives them food, good food. In fact, this was a pattern with the Israelites that God hears and he delivers. He sees and he cares. And this is actually how God came to save them from the Egyptians to begin with. We read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 33 to 35. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Prayer is simply talking to God, building a friendship with God, getting to know God better and better each day. And why is this helpful? How many of us would trust a friend over a stranger? If God is a stranger, distant and far, of course we would struggle to trust our lives with Him. But if we know Him, if we seek Him daily, if we begin to see who He really is, how big He is and how big His love for us is, Knowing that makes all the difference to the state of our hearts amidst stress. Prayer isn't a transaction, it's a conversation. Our prayers may not be answered the way that we imagine and, and may not even change our situation from the outside, but it will change our hearts. Jesus himself prayed just before he went to the cross, asking God more than once for a way out. God didn't change the situation but he did respond. He sent an angel to strengthen him, allowing him to persevere all the way to the cross. The Israelites had come out of Egypt with a lot of baggage, and I believe with each challenge they faced out in the wilderness, God was taking them on this journey of rebuilding and strengthening trust, hope, and faith in him. And this flows into the second healthy, 
helpful spiritual posture, which is obedience. When we face stress, I think there can be two temptations. One is to completely take matters into our own hands, removing God from the picture. And the other is to throw up our hands and surrender, removing ourselves from the picture. God instead calls us to this third option, and that's a partnership with Him, where He would do what, where, where He calls us to do what we can do, and then He does what only He can do. But this partnership requires obedience. I'm not sure what you picture when you hear the word obedience. For me, it first conjures up this image of something like a master-slave dynamic. You know, do as you're told or else. Um, and I'm not the most, and I am the most rule-abiding person I know, but even I have this knee-jerk reaction to be rebellious when I hear the word obedience. And this is why I think it's first so important to have that relationship with God. He calls us to obedience, not for His good, but ours. God is self-sufficient and perfect. He's unchangeable and immovable. There is nothing He could ever need from us. And so when He calls us to obedience, He's not boosting His ego or filling a gap in Himself. It has to be purely for us. And this is the premise that we begin with. Let's go back to this idea of partnership. You know, sometimes if I'm honest, I can accidentally think that I'm the answer to my own prayer. You know, I'll pray and I'll talk to God about all that's going on, believing fully well that He's going to work on it. But after doing all of that, I'll still go off doing my own thing, thinking that that's the right thing. You know, it's something like, imagine going to a doctor, explaining all my symptoms, and then leaving, saying goodbye doctor, before he can give me a prescription. And it sounds ridiculous, and yet that's what I can sometimes do with God. You know, do we believe that God has good input into our situations? And maybe if we do believe that, the question we might want to ask is, where? Where can we find His direction? God, God cares too much to be silent. And He speaks in all sorts of ways. But primarily, He speaks through the Bible. You know, when in doubt, when needing wisdom, when seeking God, the Bible is a book filled with God's Word. It has instruction, it has wisdom, it has stories and experiences. And most importantly, these words in this book, they are alive today. These words can speak to your specific situations today. When God delivered the food to the Israelites, He gave them very specific instructions. They had a part to play in His meeting their need. Now we read in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So very specific instruction. They had to gather their daily portion. They had to bake the bread themselves. It didn't arrive cooked. Um, they could only gather for each day. And on the sixth day, they needed to gather enough for the seventh. And this is how they lived for 40 years. Could God have given them food in a way that didn't need them to work? Of course, He's God. But it says that He did so to test them to follow His word. And in this process of partnership, 
God was drawing his people to him. You know, through their obedience, he was showing them his daily faithfulness. And throughout their journey, God would continue to guide them, instruct them, lead them until they reached their destination. Oftentimes, uh, stressful times can feel like a time of testing. A testing of our values, would we hold true to them? A testing of our character, would we still be kind and generous and loving when we're stressed? A testing of our faith, would we still rely on God to deliver us? But it's often in the overcoming of these that our values are strengthened, that our character is built, and that our faith increases. And that's why God calls us to listen to his instruction. Where might God be calling you to obedience today? You know, and I tried to think about my own life. Uh, and I guess, you know, something that came to mind as I was writing this talk was that an area that does weigh down on me, sometimes if I'm honest, is this area of singleness and a desire for a life partner. And in writing this sermon, I began to try to think about what God might be trying to speak to me too about my posture within this. What does obedience look like here? And I recalled something that I read recently. Um, it said there are two ways to think about your season in singleness. Firstly, it's this season that you absolutely need to get out of forcefully. And, in, and, in, uh, and because of that, you try to find ways um, to end it as soon as you can. Or the second uh, approach or second way of thinking about it is that it's a season that can be full and purposeful. And in the latter, it doesn't mean that you stop dating. You're still dating because you have this desire for marriage, but ultimately, you've surrendered the outcome to God. And I guess two things that stood out to me um, about that, what I read, was firstly, the second approach sounded a lot more peaceful. But also, that second approach, the peace that comes from the second approach can only come from obedience. If I fully trusted God in my singleness, it meant looking to his word to guide how I approach dating, what I looked for in a partner, how I defined marriage itself. It looked like trusting in his timing against the wisdom of the world even sometimes. And it looked like inviting the Holy Spirit to continue to work on my character in the here and now because there's so much that I need to work on in myself, um, in this time that I have to myself. And I think that these two lenses can be expanded to all areas of our life. You know, in our careers, in our families, in our finances, we can look at these things that stress us um, as painful situations to escape from and run away from. Or we can find purpose and provision through our obedience to God's word during these times. And in the latter, we're not willing to let our desire in that time derail us from what God is already doing in our lives and what God has in store for us in the future. Before ending, um, you know, a few months ago, I gave uh, a sermon about burnout and I think that stress is some somewhere in the same uh, category as that. And so I just really want to give a couple of uh, postscripts to the message that I just gave. I think firstly, stress is a part of daily life. But not all stress is good. You know, stress can be good, but not all stress is good. And not all stress needs to be dealt with 
sometimes we find ourselves in bad environments, in toxic environments, where removing ourselves from the situation probably is the wisest thing to do. And this is why prayer is just so important in these times to really be able to discern what we need to put ourselves through and what we shouldn't. And secondly, um, sometimes overwhelming stress can cause us problems um, that go way beyond our ability to handle. And this sermon isn't saying that um, that 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 uh, prayer and, and and obedience are the only ways to handle it. Um, there's there's a lot of wisdom in in seeking counsel, in seeking professional help, whether um, in the physical uh, impact of stress or even in the mental impact of stress. Um, there's a lot of wisdom in seeking the right help when we need it. And the last point is about community. In this sermon, I know I haven't touched on the aspect of community, but community is just such an important uh, part of how we uh, can cope with stress and how we need to rely on others in the times that we are stressed. And for that, there will be a part two uh, next week where Jacinta will be talking a lot more about this aspect of coping with stress. The thing about posture is that it's so easy to slip into bad posture. And it's so hard to build a good one. I don't know if you've ever tried to correct your posture when you're standing or sitting at a desk. Good posture requires a conscious effort on a daily basis. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be slightly painful. And sometimes it can be very tiring. But the promise is, is that we, as we incrementally improve, our lives are better for it. And so it's the same with our spiritual posture. In this story, God provided the Israelites with daily bread to sustain them on their journey. Later on in the New Testament, we would read that Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Christ himself is the true manna. And as we assume uh, this daily posture of prayer and obedience to his word, he can and will sustain us daily as we move forward on our journey with him. And the promise is that we will find peace amidst the stresses and the strength to face it. Amen. Let's, uh, wherever you're at, you know, let's uh, just take a moment to just welcome the Spirit right now and uh, see what He might want to be doing um, and speaking to us at this moment. So let me pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit, would you fill us right now? Um, afresh this day. I have a sense that, you know, there could be uh, a, a couple of you. There's two things that I think that maybe some of you listening uh, may be facing um, and, and maybe would want prayer for. And uh, the first is, um, it's just really stress. <laughs> maybe you're going through a season right now where you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you're, you're at your end. 
um, with all of the expectations and responsibilities that have been placed on you. And the other is, is, um, is that, there, that there may be some of you where there are areas in your life where when you heard the word obedience, you knew that that was a word for you and, and that try as you might, being able to find the strength to be obedient is hard because you don't know whether your obedience would result in a blessing or, um, or it will take you down an even harder path. And I just want to pray for us um, as, we, uh, as, as we close this, uh, this, this sermon. And Lord, I pray for each person listening to this sermon. I pray uh, for all those who are um, feeling overwhelmed, who are feeling weighed down uh, by the worries and the anxieties of each day and the stresses and the expectations placed on us. I pray um, that your spirit will, will fill them afresh, um, that your peace will fill their hearts, that as they enter into uh, their days ahead, that they would feel um, just a certainty that you are with them and you are journeying with them. And because of that, they can have this deep peace that's beyond understanding, that's, that's despite the circumstance that they are in. And I pray that they will know your closeness um, and that they will know your character and that they will know your love each day. And I pray for those of us who, who just have a desire to be more obedient to you, Lord. I pray um, that your spirit will be at work in us, that it won't be on our own strength that we try to be obedient and that we try to follow your word, but it will be your spirit in us that compels us um, and it will feel joyful. Um, the obedience that we, that we exercise will feel joyful um, and, and that we will see fruitfulness come out of that. And I pray for just everyone else listening to this uh, that you would bless us in the week ahead. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.